Hello, everybody. Dave Hodges here. I'm the host of The Common Sense Show. We are the show that is freeing America one enslaved mind at a time. But because we're on all these digital formats now, our three networks, our mother station at KYH, and also on the podcast services, all the big ones, you have digital at your command. Please share these broadcasts. This is so critically important because I believe we're in the year of decision-making. We're either going to persevere as a republic or we're going to fall. And everybody, I hope, would do their part. Uh, our first segment here is brought to you by Noble Gold. And uh, I'm a client for a reason, folks. I advertised for them for four years, so I said, i got to do this because I don't like where the economy's at. I don't like where the M1 money supply is at. I don't like the fact that Manchin's negotiating with the White House to pass the Build Back Better bill, which really carries a $6 trillion price tag. You're not being told the truth. And I'm afraid of collapse. So I diversified. And Noble Gold's the best at doing it. And they're not pushy. They'll send you free material. You have to close the deal with them. I'm going to give you a number to call and tell them I told you to call with the highest recommendation. I am a happy customer. I've been back for four tweaks in two years. Noble Gold can be reached at 877-646-5347. That's 877-646-5347. Well, we have a guest on the line with us here, Jason Nelson. He's running for Congress in Texas, basically in the Waco area, and I'll let him tell you about that. And uh, we've had some off-air conversations that are pretty interesting. And I'll put it this way. You don't have to worry about this man being a rhino. You don't have to worry about him being anti-Constitution while saying he really is for the Constitution. And we see all too much of that in the Republican Party. Uh, pretty well sure he's the real deal. He's been on Sarah's show. You know, Sarah Westall is a frequent guest here. And I think you're going to enjoy this interview. And really, for the good of this country, we need to get people like Jason elected. So I'm going to ask you, please, anyone you know in his area in Texas, please distribute this broadcast to those areas. Jason, welcome to the show. I'm glad you're on with us. Dave, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I don't mean to uh, uh, go right to your lead-in, but I want to tell you... um, and this is non-sponsored, but I'm actually impressed that your sponsor, I've actually tried to reach out to Gold Services before, and the problem is they keep attacking you with ads or with uh, mailers. Uh, I love the idea of somebody that will let me come back to them. So um, thanks for letting me know about that, actually. Well, I remember the first time I'm on a conversation with them. My wife and I were on a, uh, a, a three-way conversation with them, and I said, okay, what's next? Well, Mr. Hodges, what would you like to do? <laughs> I mean, I actually had yeah, to close I, the deal with them, and they're trained that way. I know I know Colin Plume, the owner, quite well. He comes on my show some, and uh, he instructs his people, do not push people into this. You show them the light, make them make the decision. It's, it's commodities. If you're not hedging against inflation, um, yeah. you're mm-hmm. either not able to invest or you don't understand it, and that's okay. That's why you have experts that do that. So that sounds like a paid sponsorship. I swear it's not, but if they do want to send my campaign a check, you can send them the address. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll send this interview to Colin. <laughs> I'm going to take the link and send it. It says, hey, hey you got a free promo here, Colin, but, but these people are as reputable as I deal with. They really are. I have no ethical concerns whatsoever. That's genuinely awesome to hear. I, I, I think that it's important that people who work in broadcasting have a, a faith in not only what they say on air, but a faith in those that are sponsoring it. Um, I know that uh, it's hard to do uh, because a lot of uh, people, you know, you need your advertising money. But um, I think it's important to have that sort of integrity where, uh, not sort of, but that that actual integrity where you know the products and, and care about their vendors and the vendors care about you and your listeners. So that's awesome. 
But I appreciate you having me on. I'm, I am running for Congress here in the 17th District of Texas. Uh, it's been uh, a crazy three weeks. I retired from the Army a month ago and uh, made the decision to run. It, it wasn't a snap decision. The truth is that I've been thinking for for more than a couple of years that, um, that there needs to be uh, some adults in Washington um, and it just so happened that I had the opportunity when uh, when I retired, uh, the election was coming, and like I just said, you know, I have to do this with the mandates going on. There's so much going on. I'm sure we'll talk about it, but more importantly, I just I, I think the people of this country, the people of Texas, the people of this district, are are tired of feeling like they are not a part of this process. And one of the primary things I intend to do during this campaign and during my tenure as a congressman is to uh, initiate and then build upon that sort of interactive uh, uh, conversation that needs to happen with your legislative representative. So I'm so, I'm so excited uh, uh, to do this. It's um, crazy that they let me actually put my call sign on the ballot, which is awesome. So it's Jason Storm Chaser Nelson. Everybody just calls me Storm, but uh, it's been really exciting. And I've had a great reception so far here. It's a reworked district and there's a rhino in office and I'm, um, uh, I'm just excited to show people that there are options. So the, your primary competition, I know from talking to you earlier, is in the primary process with the incumbent. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So there's an election on March 1st, and how it works in Texas is that uh, during that primary, in this case the Republican primary, and it's an open primary, so if you're a Democrat or independent, you can go vote. Uh, if you receive less than 50% of the votes, they take the top two vote getters and put them in for a primary runoff in June. And then, the, of course, the elections in November. Uh, as it, it, it is a plus 15 uh, Republican district, so it's more likely that once the primary is won, whoever it is is going to be the candidate as long as they work hard. Um, for us, uh, it's against Pete Sessions as the incumbent. He spent 20 years in Dallas and then got chased out of Washington, D.C., and then moved down to an open seat here near Waco, uh, stretched down near Austin uh, and over to College Station. But um, he popped into an open seat, and then he's been there two years, but they just redistricted. So um, a lot of uh, former um, uh, Louis Gomer's uh, district uh, is is now incorporated into the 17th, um, and, and Nacogdoches County all the way east is now incorporated, and we go all the way down south, include Round Rock, where we just had that recent uh, school board fiasco. So it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting district, but I think we have a real chance because, uh, quite frankly, he's not a traditional incumbent, and he is a real rhino, and I don't think he's going to work hard during the election. And when you're, when you're uh, inheriting the Gomer area, um, through the redistricting process that you guys just went through in Texas that you're being sued by the DOJ for. Um, is that a good thing? Are you getting people that will support a true constitutional conservative? I, I think it's a great thing. First of all, the DOJ has been suing Texas every single time they do a redistricting. So it's, it's just, uh, at this point, it's just tradition. Gomez, uh, excuse me, Representative Gomer is an excellent congressman. He's running for attorney general. Um, I'd love to actually sit down with him. Uh, people love him because he uh, works really hard uh, to engage with his constituency. Um, and I think they, they expect that from their representative. I think that in his case, what he's been doing, I think we can build on it a little bit. Um, I think we can continue to improve that engagement. 
Um, in the case of Sessions District, uh, that, um, you know, the sections of that district that will be taken over, I think you're going to see a complete change in the dynamic between the congressmen and uh, uh, those that they're representing. Yeah, that, uh, listen, I'm a big uh, uh, proponent of uh, Louis Gomer. He says what needs to be said when it needs to be said. And I, I've Very seen much. that many, many times from him. So that's why I thought you were probably inheriting a pretty good population base. Um, let me ask you this to people in your district. It looks like without knowing it, they accepted a carpetbagger. I get kicked out of one district, so I relocate to an open seat. Is that is that a fair assessment on my part? So I, I had to take a look at the old election, and it's very hard because I was, you know, in the Army, and it's very hard to keep track of local politics when you're doing that. Um, but I, I think that he had a lot of money, and he used to raise money for the RNC. And and by the way, I don't think he's a bad person. I don't want to. I, I know that there's a lot of controversy around him with Ukraine and with business deals he made in the past and things he did in Dallas, and and you know, uh, a bunch of drama about his ex, uh, uh, his ex and, and his whole family. And I don't want to be a part of that conversation. I don't think it's good to bring those things into politics. I think that I'm very proud of my family, I'm very proud of my faith, I'm very proud of of all of the things. But we're not running on that. We're running on policy, and we're running on what people are actually doing. Okay. Uh, but so aside from all of that, I think calling him a carpetbagger is, you know, he came from this uh, area originally, and you know, I'm from El Paso, uh, I was born there, and I grew up in the Army everywhere, and I then went in the Marine Corps on my literal 18th birthday. Uh, these are things that I think that uh, what people, when they look at a carpetbagger, they say, why did you come And it's very obvious that he came here not to return to his community. I mean, he just bought a house three weeks ago, or three weeks before this election. He moved here because he needed, he wanted to keep a seat. He wanted to stay in that fun, cushy job that they have up in Washington, D.C. And I know this because I've gone around even his old district, and nobody here knows him. So the last two years, he's made no attempts to push legislation, no attempts to uh, do anything to improve election integrity, uh, do anything to uh, improve infrastructure, do any, I mean, it's just not what I don't know what he's doing. And I think people are aware of that. And I think they called, I think they think of that as being carpetbagger. Yeah. I, I Maybe I, I should that. change my, 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 my term here. An opportunist for an open position after he lost his original. Very I'll, good. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll change yes. my verbiage here because I want to be fair as well. But he has two advantages over you going into this game without you having done anything, and that he has name recognition because of his position. And, of course, he has things like the franking privilege where he can inundate people with mail for free. Uh, that is true, but let's look at a couple of things. First of all, um, and I don't want to give away my campaign strategy because that's idiotic, <laughs> but okay. I'll, say, uh, I'll say that uh, the changing makeup of this district is drastic, number one. Number two, the anti-incumbent sentiment is much higher right now, um, and... Look, Congress has a 9% approval rating. Um, there are great members of Congress up there. I've met a lot of them. Uh, I shouldn't say the word a lot. I've met them. <laughs> but there are many rhinos. There are many do-nothing Republicans. You can be a staunch conservative, but saying you're going to go up and change Washington is ridiculous. Saying you're going to... Uh, uh, and then because what you do is you go up and you do nothing. People promise ridiculous things. Saying you will go up and make smart legislative decisions and you will incrementally move things to where they need to be while hammering down 
uh, hard on the ones that need to change drastically. For example, uh, we don't need to incrementally add voter ID. It just needs to be a thing. And I don't see any movement. I don't see a lot of, uh, of any of Congress doing anything. They're just sort of pushing buttons. And, you know, even if you're the minority in the House, there's a lot that you can do. I mean, if you were a Democrat and I was a Republican and we disagreed on plank core issues um, that there's just a false dichotomy on and we can't come to an agreement, that's understandable. But we can all agree on, on basic infrastructure. We can all agree on basic election integrity. Why aren't these things being addressed? And I think that's what people are tired of. And I think when they think of, of, of an opportunist coming in and not doing anything um, inside the district, they say, okay, we're ready for a change. So I know it was a long answer, and I apologize for a short question, but I, I just think there is a huge sentiment to people to say, we're ready for something different, but we want qualified people. And now is just the opportunity that I need to take to show people that they have a hard worker uh, who will not stop and who will go out there and engage with them. And um, and I think that makes us a winnable election. Well, I do. I think uh, on the negative side for incumbents, they, they, they carry the scars of how they've let the country down. And I think on your side, you carry an advantage, and I don't know what the, your opponent's background is, but you're a veteran, and people resonate with veterans' cause. Someone called me yesterday, and uh, they asked me my opinion on a marketing thing and if I'd be interested and it was basically raising money for veterans to go to this event or that event as a thank you. And I said, yeah, not only do I like it, I'll sponsor it. And that's how America feels about veterans, and you carry that advantage into this election. I appreciate that. I, 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 but I want to be clear about two things here, and I, I don't like to wave this flag, but it is what my resume is. I'm not just a veteran. I, I'm a retired veteran. Yeah. I, I put in my time, and I worked my way through uh, plans and, and I, I've worked internationally with over uh, 500 different NGOs, uh, government organizations. Um, I've worked with 100 uh, different militaries, well, actually 70 different militaries. I, I it's there's that, and then there's the fact that I'm also fully disabled. Um, I, I am 100% disabled uh, combat veteran. Um, that means that my disabilities are a result of combat, and they. I think that there's a lot. There are a lot of veterans, and this is going to tie into my first initiative, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But there are a lot of veterans who would really like to have somebody who's not just saying I'm a disabled vet, but who really, you know, my family, um, our retirement and disability is all we have, uh, and and those are the things that I understand the economic crisis that are facing veterans right now. Uh, so people who are on Social Security, people who. Um, oftentimes are treated like they're less than even though they earn the, uh, I'm talking about real people earn benefits, and and right now they're watching inflation take away their ability to even eat. Yes. Yes, absolutely, positively correct. I, the, the inflation is the big conundrum for people on fixed incomes and, of course, uh, who are um, unskilled laborers, lower end of the economic strata. It's killing them, killing them. Um let me give you a, a conundrum problem here. Just, I want to see your response to this. I've looked at the M1's money supply. They used to publish it openly in the government. Now they hide it, and you have to know where to go look for it. But the M1's money supply has just skyrocketed under Biden. 
and it's like crack cocaine. You got to keep doing it to keep going and to meet the debt that you're accumulating. But on the other side of the coin, you're causing great inflation. But if you stop, if you stop and slow it down, then you're going to have an economic collapse because you can't fund basic programs. Uh, what are we going to do about this? So, as I like to be very clear, I am not an expert in all things. But what I am very good at, uh, and have been very good at through a very long career, are finding experts with good moral character who I can tr- and I can trust their uh, what they're saying. Um, and so I did reach out to friends in different um, uh, financial sectors, and I asked them the question, "What do we do?" I, I said, I've, "I've analyzed the data. We are looking at runaway hyperinflation. What can we do in a short and long-term fix?" And this is their answer. They said, we've created more currency in the last three years than we have in all of history before that. The only way to add value to that is through commodities. And that means we need to immediately boost energy production and rare earth minerals for export. If we do that without, and, and, and we slowly raise rates, allowing the banks to become more competitive, uh, in loaning out money, we can slow down the inflation and actually within three years could stabilize and move back into a corrective market. That seems like a long time, and as a family who moved from having, I mean, I had a $48 six-pound ham for Christmas, and I only did it because I promised my wife. And we didn't even exchange Christmas gifts. Uh, it was It was a... You know, we, I, I understand and I couldn't imagine two more years of this. But I can promise you that if we don't immediately make those decisions to become energy independent, to move into, uh, uh, responsible mining, uh, we, we are going to face runaway inflation that is going to be, it's going to be a catastrophe. Hmm. I, I agree with you and we've lived on debt. I think we, if we retreat, there's a safe zone in debt we can maintain for a while while we work our way out. But, I mean, this is probably a multi-generational problem. You could repudiate the debt, but you'll collapse the economy. And everyone says, repudiate the debt. I used to be an advocate of that until I really looked at it. You can't do that. Right. There's no. not an easy solution right now. And like you said, it's a sugar rush. So when I say within three years, I don't mean we're going to fix the economy, I mean, we'll be able to hedge against inflationary pressure. Yeah. Uh, we, the corrections overall that are needed, um, first of all, we need a balanced budget. That's not even like, uh, it's not even up for discussion. Uh, secondly, we need to talk about how the government spends money. I can tell you from experience uh, that, for, uh, for example, the DOD spends money, the Department of Defense spends money, uh, and in the fourth quarter, rushes money out the door specifically to keep themselves from losing budget money the following year. I'd like to see budgets within the U.S. government amortized over three years so that what happens are uh, when they don't need to spend money, they aren't punished, and over a period of time they have to rationalize keeping the money, whether it be to how programs are funded uh, and when quarterly payments go out, that sort of, sort of thing, that they can explain why they need to hold on to their budget. But Therefore, we get a true idea of what the government's spending. Now, I can tell you for a fact, we've looked at the numbers, 8%. 8% right off the top, if you were just to amortize the budget over a number of years and allow people to do their budgets, uh, their spending 
through actual true spending, not through uh, forced spending in order to maintain the budget. Um, let me ask you a real specific targeted question that would reduce the cost of money to the consumer. Um, you know, the Federal Reserve charges what a lot of people refer to as a usury fee. And by the time you get your money from the bank, you probably have suffered about a 4 to 5% loss of real value on that dollar. Um, why not give money back to where it's congressionally legis- or, excuse me, constitutionally legislated, and that's to the Congress, and let them print free money so we can eliminate that part of the inflation cycle. Would that work? I think that, you know the old saying, there's many ways to skin a cat. I think the problem that you can run into when you try to think that this will be, is that if you were to legislate that sort of catch-all and it didn't work, people then use that as a bludgeon to tell you that you can't do other things. What I'd like to see is something like that tied to a metric um, not a sunset, but a metric that would allow us the, the flexibility to adjust that if necessary. But I think that that is something that works. Yeah. Well, I mean, something needs to be done there. I mean, in 1913, well, we went from 1801 to 1913 with ups and downs. A dollar was still basically worth a dollar, and since the inception of the Federal Reserve at that latter date, we now 108 years later have a dollar that's worth three percent of it or three cents of its original value. I mean something needs to happen there. If it wasn't for that if it wasn't for a single ice cube in the middle of the ocean, that would have been avoided. You talking about the Titanic? What? Oh yeah, of course. I think I kind of know where you're going, but I don't know the specifics. Enlighten us. Yeah, I know. That's opening up a massive can of worms. But when you're talking about the greater question of the Federal Reserve, um, you know, Kennedy tried to tackle that, and we saw how that worked out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, The the fact of the matter is is that it's not a grand conspiracy to say that that's a controlling mechanism in the world. Um, I don't know that those people are going to get rid of their control so easily. So I think when you're talking about tactics that take on such large issues that uh, that make people targets that are, I mean, you're talking about, I don't want to get into it, but you know what I mean there. Um, I think what you have to do is sort of blindside the enemy by doing uh, incremental uh, uh, approach onto their territory so that when you do slam the door, they had no idea you were behind them. Does that make sense? The strategy makes sense. I just don't know how you could do it since the Federal Reserve doesn't even open its books and they give the president a list of five candidates to choose their leader from. I mean, they're totally autonomous, and that needs to be reined in, in my humble opinion. Oh, I think they need to be eliminated. I mean, if you want my my, my actual opinion, I don't I don't think you should have the Federal Reserve. I agree. Uh, but I don't know how. So I want to answer questions when people ask me questions about running for office. There's always the uh, the the question you have to ask yourself, which is what promise or what guarantee or what action item can I say? that would address the issue within the realm of my ability because otherwise you're over promising and you're just what i like to call uh, lying so when you talk about these large issues i think what what a single congressperson can do they can hold hearings so that things are put in public record it doesn't matter if that hearing is you know at odd times in a closed room it still has to go in the record what i mean by closed room i mean media aren't going to cover that right 
you can ask the right questions and use those smart people to help drive you towards opening those books in a, in a, in a way. And you can educate people. As you educate people, it's going to drive more members of Congress to ask questions, and it's going to create within voters, within constituents, a desire to see that. So you and I see this and go, okay, that's a problem. But I think the average person looks at something that large and says, I don't even know if I want to look at that. And so you need to create and drive an interest in that. And workable legislation is very hard to do as a, as a single member of Congress. I mean, I'd love to see term limits. I don't think I'd be able to push it. But I do think I, what I could do is is lead by example. So what I will do is only stay in six years. Um, and that's an easy one to say, hey, that's a really hard problem to tackle. But if you lead by example, voters will more likely notice it. And I can push it, but at the same time, I know it's not going to happen, no matter how hard I push. So when you talk about that, I think I'd be interested in knowing um, better ways to go and engage the public so that you could get other members of Congress put to the fire on this issue. Because you're right, it has to be fixed. I just, I'd be lying if I said I had some miracle solution, and I'd be lying if I told you I'm going to run in there and yell about it, because no one's going to listen, and, and we both know that's not a great strategy. It is. I mean, you've kind of opened up the door to my pet peeves, and I don't want to spend a long time on them, but one is, if I had my way, if I could wave a magic wand, there'd be no corporate campaign donations because they're not people, and they drum out the voice of the people. The other thing is, is bills that get passed, and there's elements in it that have nothing to do with the bill, and it's nothing but pork to pay off donors to certain political parties. I mean, I could go on and on, but you get the idea. Insider trading, okay for Congress, but I'd go to jail. Um, <laughs> those are. Well, I can give you. I can give you easy fixes for all of those, actually. So, yeah. I mean, really, and those are those are pet peeves that are that are justified. So, I, look, first of all, no one should be voting on a bill that they don't understand. Let's let's get past the fact that it should be a zero uh, uh, addition to the budget. Uh, let's get past the fact that mo- uh, most, if not all, laws should have sunset clauses. Um, and let's. Get over the fact that Congress has no measure of effectiveness that they apply to legislation, and that's a big civil affairs term, but what it really means is there's no metric by which to say, did what we do work? And there's no ability for them to go back in and alter that legislation. So uh, let's get over all of that. Um, Every bill, I, I should be able to take an intern and put them in front of a camera and let them speak for 30 seconds and tell the public what is in a bill, and if they can't do that, then that bill should not be signed, period. That legislation should not pass. If it's more complex, like the NDAA or something like that, then obviously uh, that's more nuanced, but but it's still the same concept, right? Secondly, earmarks should not work the way they work right now. What they work now, they're called add-ons, right? So what happens is I tell you on your congressman network, and, I say, and you come to me and say, hey, I need some business this year. My widget factory needs business. And let's say your business is a good business. You know, I, I do want to drive you business. Uh, you're, you're a good American company and all of those things. But in the end, I sit here and I drive. Uh, <coughs> I, don't, I can't assign you, uh, Dave Hodges, a business uh, agreement in the NDA. What instead I do is I word the contract so specifically that only you will be able to bid on it. And then I hide it. I don't tell anyone. That's ludicrous. Um, if you were doing good business in our community and you were bringing in jobs and you're an honest business person, 
and I want to send widget A to your company, why can't I just tell people that's what I'm trying to do? If it's a just decision, then that decision should be open. And they lie. And he talks about corporate donations. I'll take anybody's money right now if I align with them because I have to, right? I yes. mean, if I align with them, I'm not going to take money from somebody I don't. But in the end, I'd ask you, is it really about the money or is it about what the money is buying? And I think it's probably the, the, the latter rather than the former. So why aren't people why – why aren't your members of Congress telling you exactly who they met with and what they talked about? There's no such thing as secret. There's only sensitive. And you can't go on and tell somebody they're making widget A and here's how they make it. But you can tell people, I met with this company from our district. Or I met with this company because I'm trying to get them to move into our district. You can make your visitor logs public. You can turn around and you can have a daily press briefing with your local journalists every day so they know exactly what you're doing. I think these are things transparency is, is – they sit there, they say, well, we'll be transparent, and what they mean is we'll follow the laws that we wrote for ourselves. And that's not transparency. Transparency is to be transparent as you would expect your spouse to be because that's the type of control your representative has in the federal government over your life. That's ridiculous. We should eliminate that level of control, but in the end, it's what they have right now. And I can't understand why they aren't just making efforts on their own to be more open. And I think that you can lead by example uh, and do that. And, I, and, I'm, and I, I don't know if you're ever going to eliminate dark money, but I do know that what you can expect from your representatives is to be as open as possible, period. Yeah, you're never going to wipe out all these things we're talking about, but you certainly can move towards at least containing it. And and you're right about the dark money. I mean, I live in a state where you don't get on the Corporation Commission here where they have their way with the public without massive dark money. And I think it should be illegal, but it's not. Um, by the way, I didn't know your opponent was involved in Ukraine. I won't ma I won't have you go into that, but that that's going to make me go take a look. I just thought I would mention that to you, just kind of an oh, by the way. But uh, you've raised a lot of really good points here about, you know, controlling what you can control. But I'll tell you something I'm really upset about, and this is a current event issue. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, hater, lover, don't care, shouldn't matter. When she is banned by Twitter and Facebook that committed, I think, uh, election violations up the wazoo, when, when they ban her, where's the Republican leadership? And I'm asking more of almost a rhetorical question. There's been complete silence on her, and she's a mad dog when she needs to be, but that shouldn't matter. They should be defending their own against this blatant censorship, and I haven't heard a word of defense. Have you? You know... If you've ever seen a, uh, any sort of sports ball, uh, you would see, and you used to coach, when your player gets into a scuffle, you want them to have restraint. You want them to be the bigger man or woman, depending on how you're coaching, and walk away and, be, and, and take the foul or you know, the technical and, and, and that. That said, you also know that you want if that player gets into a scuffle every player to go have their back especially if they're in the right especially if they're in the right even yeah. if they're cursing and swinging wildly if they're in the right you need to go defend them uh, and I first of all I've met her she's, she's very nice uh, 
um, yeah, she's a little bit more coarse than I am. I, I mean, you know, <laughs> but the, the, yeah. a larger issue is why is it that you have a sitting member of Congress who's been banned from a uh, – uh, and then people will say, well, it's a public site. Well, here's the thing. It's a public site that is taking editorial discretion from yeah. the federal government, which, if I'm not mistaken, is fascism. And it is an end around to our First Amendment rights. She's just asking questions everyone should ask. Why was there no in, uh, early intervention? Uh, what is it that uh, they're hiding about the uh, from the CDC and from Pfizer? Why can't we even know what their studies are in for 75 years? That's so ridiculous. There, be quiet. They, no. They wanted to hide the results of their studies for 75 years. I, I don't. I, I, I don't have to agree with everything she says. To agree that what they're doing is is mortifying, we should be calling them before Congress and asking, who gave you the right, or who encouraged you? And I want to see the emails because if the White House told you to ban people for saying something they didn't like, for I don't know, maybe using the scientific process, for them to do that would mean that we have a uh, government that has directly. Uh, uh, put themselves in on the First Amendment, and therefore we have a uh, social media giant that has now taken on uh, editorial policy, which makes them a media conglomerate, not a social media giant. Bingo. And Bingo. We have to address that. Yeah. I, yeah. I got, look at me. I'm not verified. I can't, I can't get verified on any social media that isn't conservative. Only. I'm on the ballot, and I can't get one of their stupid little check marks. Um, but I can tell you that my uh, Democrat opponent has one. Why? Why and is that? Do they give you a reason? Oh, they just. I'm not. It doesn't matter. They won't even tell you. I mean, when you try to appeal it, they don't let you. And then when you uh, try to reapply, they say you have to wait 30 days. Think about that. I'm going to be halfway through my campaign before I can even get social media to acknowledge that I uh, exist. That's that. How is that not blatant electioneering uh, by uh, social media uh, by the company? Well, it should be illegal, and I think it brings them under Section 230, where you know they get exemption for the bad things that end up on their site, but they can't censor, and they're censoring a political candidate. They just censored a congresswoman. Um, I don't know why Trump never okay. invoked 230. He should have. I got to tell you one other thing. You got to know this is how insane this is. Ballotpedia meaning the, the general use site that certifies who's on the election, puts your photo up, your website, all of those things. It shows up first in Google when you look for candidates. Ballotpedia will not uh, validate me as a candidate. Why? Because Twitter hasn't given me a check mark. Think about that. That's how, that's how they control this, and it's ridiculous. Let me ask you a question, Jason, because I'm, I'm thinking solution-oriented, but I know you've got limited time. But what about um, an expedited claim to the attorney general? You think that person would be sympathetic to this, and they would start the ball rolling against them, and they may back down? Uh, you know what? I appreciate that solution. I didn't even think about reaching out to Attorney General Paxson, and I actually know uh, a lot of people in his orbit. I don't know if... Uh, Right now, that's a priority of his. Uh, it's very weird being in a race where you have an incumbent. No, he isn't exactly beloved. He still is a fixture in the party. And I don't know if people want to upset that. But, um, I mean, I know that if I was in an election, I'd like to make some news cycles by advocating for uh, 
uh, fair treatment of candidates uh, for First Amendment, I mean, I would want to do that. So maybe, uh, maybe I should reach out to his people. The only reason he wouldn't help you, and this is me saying it, not Jason, but the only reason I can think of he wouldn't help you immediately is if he's a rhino supporting a rhino. And I'm talking about your primary, no your yeah, primary I, opponent. Yeah, I, I would have to, uh, again, and I'm going to say in full transparency, uh, I have not met him, and uh, I, I, I nothing heard nothing but good things about him, and I have to assume he's an honorable person. Uh, I just would, I would make the assumption that if he didn't jump on this, that it was a, uh, a not a priority, and I get that. Uh, at the same time, from a media cycle perspective, I'd be the kind of person that would. Uh, get involved in that so um what kind of relationship do you have with uh, the the texas party chairman uh i don't have any again it's very bizarre uh the rnc has been extremely helpful believe it or not um they have great tech people they've uh, gotten me the voter data pools they've just been absolutely engaged and wonderful um that said a lot of the party chairs the counties uh the state doesn't really get involved but the county chairs Although they are forthcoming with information, it's a very weird position for them uh, because there's an incumbent Republican. And there's also, uh, you know, like even the uh, young Republicans, I've reached out to them multiple times, and they won't even let me come speak to them what? at Baylor. Uh, yeah, it's kind of bizarre. I, I've, I've met, gone and met their president in person, and I'm not actually a very nice uh, uh, young lady, but they... They, they've not allowed me the opportunity to even speak to them. Now, maybe I know they just came back to school, but, you know, I'd love to be able to send an email to their members. What, what, what could they possibly email. say to you to deny you? Well, I think, and again, I'm... So I, I'm, I don't... I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes. I'm just saying how the process works. I think that with an incumbent, for example, if I had 100 people in my club and you have campaigns coming up so you have state races you have uh, uh all sorts of races going on you maybe they're choosing to deploy their resources and down in uh um you know in con- congressional district eight uh there that one's going to be heavily uh contested mm-hmm. i don't know what it is that would validate that i do know that it's extremely frustrating to be in a position where you're trying to just i'm not asking for them to vote for me i'm asking for an opportunity to present my message and if that isn't uh, the message I have for them on what we're going to do to build um, relationships in the business community, uh, to bring uh, that through Baylor through tech programs that uh, help the development of industries and feeder industries within the surrounding counties, I mean, if they don't want to be a part of that, um, I guess you know I, I can't make them. Hmm. That, to me, Baylor's in your district too, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, Baylor University is okay. Um, I'm I'm actually stunned by this because, you know, thinking back to my undergraduate days, the uh, we welcomed candidates on our campus from all different viewpoints. Um, I guess that that's a time gone by. That's a bygone time. But uh, to me, you, you know, as you're talking here and I'm hearing about some of these uh, um, mainstay forces not being of assistance to you. Um, I saw the same thing in Denver one time, and I can't remember the mayor's name. It might have been Webb, but he put on his tennis shoes, um, and he walked every neighborhood, met every person, and upset the incumbent. 
And and you may be in a position where you have to get volunteers to go out and maybe you just got to do a, a, a grassroots door-to-door approach since you're not getting help from the establishment. I, and I have no problem with that. The, the good news is, is that I have a professional staff. Uh, we have a great core group of uh, professional volunteers. Um, we, I, I mean, as a matter of fact, tonight I'm going out to meet with a group of 15 of them. Um, and as we continue to build our operations in each county, I, I am fully confident um, that the message will get out there and will fire people up. You know, the thing about uh, run, uh, primary is it doesn't require a lot of votes. It's one of the cheapest races you can win if you work hard. And there's one thing that um, I think you could find everyone in my history that could agree about. Uh, there's no one that's a harder worker than I am. And I know that a lot of people say that, but I have a motor that just doesn't stop. And I can't wait to show that during the campaign so that people understand what they're going to be in for when they're representatives in Washington. Uh, I did want to tell you about that my one initiative, if that's okay, that I, I want Absolutely. people to know about. Yeah, let's hang on to that just for a second because I'm overdue for a break. And that, that's my sure. reality. So, you know, we're speaking to congressional candidate for District 17 in Texas, Jason Nelson, and we're hearing about some of the challenges and some of the bonuses that are behind his campaign. And we come back, we're going to be talking about his uh, uh, one of his initiatives that he wants to make you all aware of. And I can't wait to hear it. But first, I got to tell you, um, if we go full blow and we lose the economy, through hyperinflation, and there's signs that it's on the fringe, folks. Just go into a grocery store. I'm not saying it's here. I'm not predicting it's going to happen. I'm not an economist. I don't have a crystal ball, but I don't like the direction things are going. And I listed 19 impediments to our food supply. You know, I sat down one day and I said, okay, what's really blocking f- food from efficiently getting to market? Number one, of course, is energy costs, but there's 18 others that I came up with. Here's the bottom line. If you want to be assured that you don't have to depend on a government in a crisis time that left a thousand of its own citizens behind enemy lines in Afghanistan, you really need to look at storable food. And MPS, My Patriot Supply, we're one of the few companies of its type left standing. We're meeting demand. We have sales. You can see that at preparewithdave.com. 25-year shelf life, 2,000 calories per day, lots of variety in the food so you won't habituate to it. I'm imploring you to get storable food. If you just buy what's on bulk sale in the grocery store, you're going to have an unbalanced diet. And that's one thing that they avoid in their presentation packages, what they would mail to you. I'm really encouraging you to do this. You can't come to my home and expect to get help. And you're not going to get help from this administration. So how do you uh, deal with this? Well, you simply go to the website, preparewithdave.com, preparewithdave.com, and uh, get started and order and people say how much how much well fema and dhs say six months uh bob griswold expert prepper says two years you know i don't know what you can afford it's varied according to our audience what i'm saying is get as much as you can because i think the time is coming where these supplies are going to be tight and i'd rather us be safe rather than sorry and not have to need it this time but maybe get it the next time But uh, like I said, I am not optimistic about this economy right now. I think America can survive this, but you want to survive it too. Preparewithdave.com. Well, we're speaking with congressional candidate uh, Jason Nelson, and he is uh, going to enlighten us as to one of his initiatives. So, Jason, go ahead. 
Uh, Dave, your commercials are so good. I, I'm literally going, we have to set up a round table and bring on some people. I got to come back and talk about how to do emergency preparedness. This is my life. And now I'm uh, completely distracted. So there you go. Thank you for that. <laughs> okay. Your initiative. There's your reminder. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I have you know, just, uh, I, so one of the things that, uh, and I wanted to bring this up because I think it's really important because it, it is a reconfigured district. And I'd mentioned that I wanted to continue to build on, uh, on Congressman Gomer's uh, hard work uh, while changing things within this side. Uh, seeing as the makeup of the county is so different, what has happened right now is you either have, either have to drive to Waco or you have to go to College Station in order to see someone from your district. So that means if you need to do a VA, uh, your VA paperwork, your social security issues, uh, you have to drive up to you know three, four hours to go see somebody if they're there. I am going to do something very unique. I am going to, and we've we figured out how to do this. We're going to be able to cut staff up on the hill by um, utilizing a fellowship program and working with uh, uh, consortiums here uh, to get uh, uh, sponsored fellows up inside the office. What that will allow us to do is to spend our budget down here in the district, which means that we will be able to put a trained VA rep a trained Social Security rep and a full-time legislative liaison in every single county, all 11 of them. And they won't just be in the county, they will be mobile, meaning they will move to senior homes to go talk to seniors about any Social Security or Medicaid issues they're having. Uh, these people will all be involved in daily and weekly huddles within their office, weekly huddles and monthly roundups within uh, the office in D.C. Uh, I intend to be in the district three days a week, but I'm saying this because there's three important things you pull from that. People can talk about the VA all they want. The hospitals are improving, but the administration is the problem. And they, a lot of people are waiting on uh, not just medical appointments, but waiting on VA benefits, uh, Social Security benefits, things like that. And I would like to think that one of the basic functions of a representative is to be the interface with the machine. And so we are going to provide that. But through that, we're also going to provide opportunities for uh, uh, whether it be uh, veterans or through seniors or through young college uh, students or kids who are interested in expanding uh, their profile and, and portfolio, the opportunity to attend these training programs and become certified reps. So we're going to utilize existing assets and spread out the money and provide this. But the final linchpin to that is a legislative liaison partner. I want the members of my community to know that they are not going to have to wait to see the rep. Yes, I'll be coming down to see them, but as they work, farmers have an issue with a bill. If uh, manufacturers, if if local, just people have an issue, they can go right into their office in their county and work to either craft legislation, understand legislation, or uh, bring up an issue that we can work throughout our district and bring directly to Washington. The average person will no longer, so I, I, I hate to make this analogy in the sense of it's holy, but it's when the Catholic Church hid everything in Latin and the Guggenheim Press and Martin Luther came and, and translated it for the people. I think we need that kind of, of uh, uh, interface with our government. We need an opportunity for people to expose what's happening, not, not always just for bad reasons, for good reasons as well, to understand what's available to them, to understand 
how the process works so that they can actually do things within their community to make their lives better. And I can help facilitate that. And it's the thing I'm most excited about. And if we win the primary in March, I intend to start this office immediately. Well, I, I, I really like the plan because you're hitting typically underserved populations, particularly the veterans and the elderly when it comes to their benefits. And these benefits are really under attack. I, I've been telling senior citizens, I said, hey, guys, wait till you see what happens this year with what they've already passed. And they have, I'll tell you, most senior citizens have no idea what's about ready to happen. They see the 6.5% increase. Their medications are ready to go through the roof. I, and there's other uh, fixes for that, and I won't. Those are going to require larger caucuses and, and being able to bring people to the table. And I look forward to taking those skills I learned working with uh, having to bring terrorists and warlords together to talk with legitimate government officials and military officials. When you can make those meetings happen, I think that you can, in a battlefield, I think you can bring uh, people to the table on these larger issues and address yeah. them. And in the interim, you can do the nuts and bolts of being a representative uh, and, and, and helping people. Yeah, I really like the idea. I like it a lot. Um, I wanted to ask you, too, because if I don't mention this now, we'll run out of time. But the uh, issue of voter integrity, um, you know, I, I want you to be comfortable in what you present here. But i got to tell you, my personal position as a citizen, not to be confused with your position, is that unless we get certain reforms and not repeat the sins of 2020, um, there's no point in for me even voting. That's just me speaking personally. What do you think? You know, you're you're not the first person to say that. Um, as a matter of fact, to hear that and read that quite often. Um, and before I forget, it's storm for the number four congress dot com. Storm for congress dot com. Uh, but, uh, I have to throw in that promo, otherwise I would forget. But I would say. Election integrity is probably, for most conservatives right now, it's a top three issue, if not a number one issue. And the reason I say it's top three is because, obviously, the uh, the absolute missteps by the government with COVID and uh, the economy are weighing uh, heavily on these people's minds. But when you talk about election integrity, I think we're talking about two issues here. I think it is important to bring it up. We're talking about what happened in 2020. And we're talking about what's going to happen in the future. What happened in 2020? Um, my personal speculation aside, uh, people have presented evidence, and people much smarter than I am, have presented evidence, and they want answers. And I believe they deserve those answers. And I believe that they're being blocked from getting those answers. Um, and if those people provided um, in a way that actionable legislation to address an issue. Do I think that they could put President Trump back in office? No, I don't even think there's a pathway to do that. But I do think that holding people accountable for election fraud is something everyone should want to do. It's a nonpartisan issue. Um, I mean, the Democrats complained in 2016, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, 20, 2004, 2000, uh, they were complaining about this. Um, we know that JFK got into his presidency because uh, Mayor Daley uh, raided graveyards. Um, these are not <clears throat> uh, foreign concepts to us, and it's it's a truly a bipartisan issue. So that leads us forward. So again, these things need to be addressed. And I'm not trying to just sho- shove it under a carpet. What I'm saying is is that I think there's a process that uh, I. I Whatever I can do, I would do, but at the same time, I think people need to ex- uh, have expectations for what the outcomes are going to be. Uh, 
But I think moving forward, there is no question. Uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq, they use colored dye to vote so that you can't cheat. We're the only first world nation that doesn't require voter ID. Um, that's ludicrous. No, it's racist. That's uh, what they tell us. It's racist well, to ask for an ID. You know, it's racist to say that a black person can't get an ID. Sorry. I remember when I was 40, I got carded and I thanked him. But you can go to a bar, a cop pulls you over, you have to pick up tickets at will call for a sporting event. You got to show your ID. Somehow that's not racist. It's just, it's mind boggling that we even accept this nonsense as an argument. Facebook requires me to, in order to get my uh, campaign account authenticated, which they won't do, uh, they require a uh, front and back state ID. Uh, and they require that. Ironically, Facebook spent, what, a billion dollars fighting voter ID. That is, yeah. uh, it's not about hypocrisy. It's about understanding people can get an ID. And asking for an ID to vote is not, I think what people are saying is, oh, so you're assuming I'm a criminal. Well, I don't assume you're under 21 when I ask to see your ID if you're buying alcohol. It's just the law. It's just to prove it so that no one can ever have a question. If you make you it go. a gray area, then then you leave it up to people, and then people can make wrong decisions. It's a very clear line. <laughs> uh, I don't think... Yeah, I know, right? Uh, yes, I, I know. It, it's ridiculous. we got to talk... I mean, I remember getting onto bases as a kid, military bases, and I was a dependent. I had to show my driver's license and my military ID. Yeah, I and, mean, you know, it's, and it's ridiculous. Part, you sit here and you go... Well, we can't. Uh, I think every state should be every state after a federal election should be audited. I mean, I also believe that uh -huh. election day every two years should be a federal holiday. But you know, I think that uh, there's a lot of things I think and I know that should be done. But I mean, I love the excuses that are made. It's it's impossible to sort all these ballots. Go to a stadium after a football game and watch those businesses conduct the, and, and go through their transactions. I hear go you. To Disney World and see what they do. And Jason, if I don't interrupt you here, we're not going to get to some really important stuff, and I wanted to make sure I hit the important things here. Um, your site is storm with the number 4 congress.com, is that correct? That's correct. Okay, so storm with the numeral 4 for Congress, stormforcongress.com. And uh, I would imagine at that site, there are people uh, that, well, let's put it this way, if people want to contribute to your campaign, um, I would imagine the mechanism to do that is right there. There is. I appreciate that. There's WinRed. We're going to be moving from WinRed into Anadot. So uh, that will be happening actually within the next 24 hours. And then we also accept Bitcoin. Really? Yes, uh, I think we're the, oh, wow. we might be the first congressional campaign to accept Bitcoin. Well, it's kind of funny. The banks all are poo-pooing Bitcoin, and I'm finding out they're all getting into it because they don't want competition. That's why they do that. But I'm glad to see you doing that because people are going to need a refuge from the dollar. When If we don't collapse, we're certainly going to have a devaluation. And I'm so glad to see you're doing that because it's a concession to what needs to be done in the short term, at least. Um, hey, I really appreciate you coming on. This was um, very informative. And I'll tell you, as you get closer to D-Day uh, for the primary, feel free to reach out to me and we'll get you back on. And I'll send you the link in a couple of days and you may do with it what you will. But Jason Nelson, candidate for District 17 in Texas, let's reach out and help him. Uh, his his uh, contact again is Storm with the numeral 4, stormforcongress.com, and make a donation. Jason, thanks for joining us here on the Common Sense Show.
Hey, thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate it. I'll talk with you soon. Take care.